Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Did we all enjoy our extra hour of sleep? Yeah? Some of the parents in the service before this were like, I didn't get an extra hour of sleep. We have some family news before we go any further. The wonderful Matt and Lucy got engaged. Come on. Congratulations. Congratulations. So exciting. Um, I'm not sure if I was allowed to do that or not. Sorry. It's on the live stream as well. Anyway. If we haven't met before, my name's James, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to be sharing with you today as we continue on in our current series. And since the end of the summer, we have been unpacking and trying to answer the question, what is the church? What should it look like, and how should it act? And if you're a little foggy or you've just joined the conversation today... I'm going to reuse how Hannah condensed the past few weeks' teachings for us when she said this. The church is a people, not a place. A people that are gathered around a specific purpose of following Jesus and learning along the way how to demonstrate the reality of his kingdom in the world. The building is not the church, neither are the staff, the leaders you see up at the front. We are the church. Every single one of us, whether you started following Jesus just yesterday or whether you've been following him your whole life. And we, we have a purpose. It's not just to be a nice people and to show up on a Sunday, but our purpose is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and learn to demonstrate what it would be like if Jesus lived your life, he worked your job, he occupied the spaces that you do during the week. Well said. And so we've been doing this through um, teaching into what we recognize as the five standout practices of the church, spiritual formation, worship, service, generosity, and today we're going to be looking at community. Now, it may feel like your experience in deja vu, you were like, James, have you not spoken on community a couple of weeks ago? Well, you would be right, but you see, our plan has been to teach into these five practices twice. To achieve the goal of firstly looking at what the scriptures have to say about each of these areas and how that should theologically underpin our perspective and understanding. And the second teaching today, which will be more of an invitation to us of what that should look like here and now. So before we go any further, I want to quickly recap on where we left off last time, okay, as we looked at the practice of community. We went all the way back to the very beginning of our story, looking at God, how God in and of himself formed himself into the very first community made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. We looked at the fact that these three entities are held together by mutual love towards one another. And we talked about the idea that in order for God to be love, he had to have some sort of way in order to express this love, which he did in the very first community. And then we sifted through the narrative of scripture, looking at God's intention for community. 
And how it was not just, he didn't want it just to be expressed through himself, but also he wanted to express it to humanity and for humanity. He created Adam, the very first human, and he noticed it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, so he formed a community for him by creating Eve. This was God's attempt at letting Adam experience what the Trinitarian God already had. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see God building a community through his chosen people, Israel. However, this community was kind of exclusive, if you can remember. But then Jesus, Jesus enters the story, God incarnate. He came to introduce a new kind of community, one that wasn't exclusive, but rather inclusive. He displayed this through gathering a band of disciples around him, forming a new community, which was made up of people who on paper shouldn't have worked, but somehow with Jesus, it did. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds with political, uh, polarized political stances. And Jesus' goal here was to show that he had inaugurated the kingdom. And that meant no longer would God's community have to conform to uniformity, but that it, it could be marked by radical diversity. No longer would there be a division in God's community to come between Jew and Gentile, master and slave, men and women, young and old, poor and rich, black and white, Protestant and Catholic, immigrant and native occupant, even, even between Manchester United and City fans after they beat them today, 3-1. Amen. Hoyland Hattrick, come on. (laughs) But in all seriousness, Jesus came to model The community in the kingdom of God would look eternally diverse at the same time through him, eternally unified. And then we finally landed by looking at how when the spur came and lit the flame of the beginning of the church, they were now called to continue on building this kind of community that Jesus had begun. And all of this was only possible through their commitment to one another, which we'll pick up later on today. Does some of that sound vaguely familiar? A few nods? Great, cool. Well, today I want to very simply for the next 20 minutes look at how this invitation and model of community works itself out here and now, okay? And we're going to do this um, by looking at some behaviors and values and practices that are held together by one commitment that I'm going to invite us to have a think about Uh, making towards one another. And the reason I said I want you to think about it is we want you to take the next couple of weeks um, to think about the commitments that we're calling you to because on the 26th of November, we're going to gather together here as we normally do and we're going to make the commitment together at our all-in Sunday. So before we go any further, let me pray for us and then we'll jump right in. So why don't you close your eyes as I pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and provoke us, to challenge us. And would you soften our heart to open ourselves up to listen and hear what you have to say to us today. God, we invite you to come and have your way. And all God's people said, amen. 
Well, why don't you join me by opening your Bibles, or if there's one near to you, to Genesis 3, a text many of you will be familiar with, known as the fall. Now, don't worry, we're not going to be doing a deep dive into the origin of sin, although maybe some of you theology heads would love that. But actually, I'm going to use this chapter to get us thinking about what we want to look at today. So let's turn real quick to Genesis 3. And really quickly, for those of us who maybe aren't familiar with the story, God has just asked Adam and Eve to not eat from a specific tree in the garden, which they end up doing, right? And here we pick up the story in verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, and he goes on to explain the consequences of their choice. Okay, some participation. I I was originally thinking of getting you to call out what stood out from the text, but what I'm gonna get you to do for the next 60 seconds is turn to the person that you've come with And I want you to ask the question, what stands out about this text? In particular, pay particular attention to God's behavior towards humanity after they've let him down and humanity's behavior towards God after they've let him down. So take the next 60 seconds to turn to the person you've come with and ask them, What stands out to you about this text? If you're an introvert like me, you can just open your Bible and look down and don't speak to anybody, okay? But that's not an excuse for the rest of you, okay? So take 60 seconds and I'll call you back in just a minute. whether you can relate to me, but I always grew up thinking the story went like this, that God created 
the world and humans. Humans messed up and then God separated himself from them because they disobeyed him, which created the problem where sin got in the way and God had to move away and separate himself from humanity. But in fact, the opposite is true here, right? It's humanity that moves away from God. And in fact, God moves towards humanity regardless of their sin. This isn't just semantics. This actually changes the whole story. God moves towards humanity after they let him down. And it goes on to say that he clothes them in verse 21, which is a significant act of grace that displays forgiveness. You see, Although they have to live with the consequences of their sin, they're not abandoned. God doesn't stay in the garden and they go off into the earth separated from him. No, he follows them. And some of the stories that follow this show humanity letting God down time and time again, yet God doesn't abandon himself or separate himself from them. In fact, God's response is to form covenants with human beings such as Noah and Abraham, Moses and David. And in this act of covenant making, God makes promises to humanity that he binds himself to even if and when his covenant partners, you and I, prove unfaithful, which is what we inevitably do, right? But here's the point I'm trying to make. God doesn't define people by their wobbles, by their weaknesses, or even their worst moments. It doesn't break his commitment to want to move towards us and commune with us. And if we hold that to be true, that even in our unfaithfulness of letting God down, he still moves towards us to commune with us, there are implications if this is to be true, right? Quickly raise your hand if you've heard of the Imago Day. Anybody heard of the Imago Day? Some people, yeah. Basically means the image of God. And for many years, church fathers and scholars have debated what this truly means. And today we don't have time to attempt looking at all these differing opinions, but there are some similarities um, to what all these different stances have. And the first one is this, that number one, the image of God is a noun meaning that it relates to who we are. Number two, the image of God is a verb, meaning that it relates to what we do. In other words, the image of God, who he is and what he does has a significant impact for how we should live our lives as people who bear his image. Now hold that thought for a minute. Tell me this, I wonder have you ever misjudged someone for a particular reason? Maybe they've let you down before you gave them a chance or you got off on the wrong foot for whatever reason. But eventually you end up becoming really good friends with them. Well, this can be said about these three fellas here. Look at that there. <laughs> Chris McNaught, Mikey Wright and Killian Murphy. Hey, <laughs> Andy Masters, actually. <laughs> These guys, as you can see, ended up being my three best men. However, with all three, you could say we got off on the wrong foot. Let me tell you some of the stories. 
For Mikey and I, it was our ex-girlfriends many moons ago got in between us. For whatever reason, they had decided that we weren't going to like each other and they made up all these different kinds of lies. And it meant that in, in any sort of social scenario when Mikey and I were there, we wouldn't talk to each other and we would speak badly of one another to the people that we were with. Now, we both went to Laura Hill Community College and we eventually had to work on this music project which forced us to speak to one another. And a couple of kind of moments into the conversation, I'm like, this guy's actually really dead on. Like, he's actually really, really nice. We actually get on. Like, something's not right here. We quickly realized that our girlfriends had been lying to us, and we decided that our friendship was worth more than dating them, so we dumped them and became best friends. <laughs> Sorry, Katie and Sarah, if you're listening. With Chris... We met each other at Bible college. Before we had talked, I decided I didn't like this guy. I was this studious student at Bible college, ready to study the word of God. And Chris was at the back of each room that I was studying in, messing around with his friends on his phone, being really annoying. Much to my dismay, he turned up the Lagan Valley Vineyard. And we ended up having to chat because he joined the welcome team that I was heading up. Now, this first week, I thought I'd put Chris to the test. And in our venue at that time, I asked him to go and clean up this multicolored um, pile of sick that someone had deposited there the night before. And I thought to myself, there's no way this fella with the fancy hair is going to clean that up. <laughs> but much to my surprise, he did. I quickly realized I misjudged this guy and he was the real deal when it came to following Jesus. Anyway, we went on to build a friendship that has blessed me immensely going after God dreams together. And then finally, Andy. My first interaction with Andy, well, was interesting, but it was the first of many where I could hear Andy before I could see Andy. We were having this church gathering in Exodus in Lisbon. Uh, many of you will know where that is. And it, we were kind of leading up to this response moment. And uh, as we were kind of getting to that place, there was a racket coming from next door. So I was sent to go and see who was making all this noise. And I opened the door to see who, who was Andy. I didn't know it was Andy at the time. And I, I kind of went and said, you know, like, hey, man, like, we're doing this really cool thing next door. We're like leading people to Jesus. We're creating a moment for them to respond. The noise you're making. Uh, he was like, what do you want me to do? I was like, well, can you, can, can you bring it down a little bit? And he's like, no, I need the volume to be this loud. And close the door in my face. <laughs> Not the best start to a friendship. Needless to say, this guy got around a vineyard, became a mentor, a pastor, then my boss, and now one of my best friends. Now, these are three stories that ended well. But sadly, a lot of other friendships or relationships don't go the miles they could have because for one reason or another, both parties weren't willing to commit to work through an offense. Now, although all these are true, they are three silly examples of experiencing offense from people. 
But I wonder, can you relate to some more relatable examples of an experiencing, uh, experiencing an offense in your relationships? It could have been a time that someone broke a promise or someone spoke, spoke poorly of you behind your back or, or maybe somebody just blatantly ignored you. When these experiences happen, we have to be careful. We don't respond by following the advice from our culture at this current moment, which would say this, that that we get to set the terms of our relationships. It's about what I need, and when you don't seem to meet my required expectations, I get to terminate the ties. And this sadly makes relationships all about what they can do for us as individuals. If you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. But aren't you glad today that we are connected to a story where God didn't move on from us when we didn't meet his set of rights? Aren't you glad today that God didn't terminate his ties with us based on the fact that we got off on the wrong foot with him? Here's the deal. To be made in the image of God means that we have a responsibility on us to reflect this in our relationships towards one another as we seek to build community here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Remember, the image of God is much a verb as it is a noun. And in the same way God didn't abandon us when we let him down, we are are to show that same response when people let us down, moving towards them and embodying the practice of forgiveness. Now that sounds simple, right, in theory? And I get it, it it can be hard. It's not fun. Sometimes people don't even deserve it based on their actions towards us. However, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives of integrity where what we say and do hold in God's image that we bear. Sadly, we don't get the luxury when following Jesus whether or not we get to choose to forgive one another or not. It's in the contract. It's part of the deal. So forgiveness is the first of our three three practices I want us to look at, or what we have looked at already. But I want us to move on to the next two, which are both found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can. For a little bit of context, this section of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews was specifically trying to challenge the Jesus followers at this time in this place to not forget or to neglect the need of gathering together like this, but also in homes with the church on a regular basis. And the goal here from the writer was to stress that your relationship with Jesus, yes, is personal, but it's never meant to be private and it should be worked out Uh, It should work itself out in the context of community. So let me read this for you quickly. Chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, just the three verses. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, the writer here is using repetition to draw our attention to something here he doesn't want us to miss. Obviously, there's no highlighting or underlining in our Bibles to stress a point, hence why repetition was used to make this point. And here we see the phrase, one another, appear twice. And this should catch our attention when we read uh, the invitation here to spur one another on, but also to encourage one another. So firstly, let's look at the idea of spurring one another on. This word spur in its original context would have literally meant to irritate. This word would have been typically, typically used When a farmer was dealing with a a stubborn group of cows, they would have pulled this stick out that had a nail on it and they would have used it whenever the cows weren't doing whatever a cow is meant to do. I don't know what a cow is meant to do. Adrian, maybe you can help me out. (laughs) Um, Eat grass or pull machinery or something. Anyway, as you can see... I'm a city boy. I'm not... I'm not going to pretend to know what cows meant. Anyway, moving on. Whenever the cow wasn't doing what it was meant to do, they would have used this stick to irritate it, to, to poke and prod the cow forward onto doing what it, whatever it was meant to be doing. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage this group of people to think about that is in order to become a healthy community, It's going to require you not to shy away from the tough conversations of challenging one another with the goal of helping one another to move forward. And this may result in you slightly irritating or provoking the recipient. However, it shouldn't be an excuse to shy away from the conversation. And this is something that I've had to grow in. I've had to grow in both having these conversations, but also receiving these conversations You might be thinking, why should we even bother having these tough, hard conversations where we're going to irritate one another in the first place? Surely it would be easier not to. Well, quite simply, we need to be challenged in areas of our lives where we're making poor choices. Now, there are times we intentionally make poor choices, but most of the time we don't realize when we're making them. We all have blind spots, right? Hence why we need to challenge one another to speak the truth in love. For example, I didn't realize how much of a bad impulse buyer I was. I would just see something that I liked and then I would buy it. And when I got married to Hannah, she quickly noticed that there was new things appearing in the house all the time. And right at the beginning of our marriage, a few weeks into it, I was confronted Hannah plucked up the courage to be like, Jay, you can't just keep buying everything you see that you want. To which I was like, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) And I don't do that. I actually don't do that. I was young and naive. To which Hannah responded, well, last week you booked a holiday, you bought a really expensive bottle of whiskey and you bought a sports top. I was so irritated. I left the room. The fact that she called me out on this and eventually three hours later, I came back and apologized. So we had to put put this rule in place and this stands to this day that if I want something that's kind of over 50 pounds, I've got to want it for the year and then I can come back and actually ask for it. It's a bit harsh, right? (laughs) 
bit harsh, but reals are reals. Anyway, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hannah loved me enough, right, to lean in and have that awkward conversation, right, with me so that I could grow in that area of my life that I obviously was making poor choices in. Now, I also helped grow her bank balance, but that's not the point. (laughs) The point is that she lent in with courage, but also eventually I had the humility to receive it. Side note, very, very important though, before you all go out of here, and start calling each other out on everything. (laughs) Listen up. Your level of challenge has to track with the miles in your relationship. In other words, your level of honesty should be dictated by how long you've known that person. This is to protect you from joining a tribe and calling a pile of people out on their bad habits and leaving being confused by nobody nobody has taken it overly well. Here's the thing, we hate being told what to do, right? And that's because some of you are very good at telling us what to do. So to help you as you practice challenging one another, let me pass on some advice that I was given to once. It comes in three steps. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean, all right? Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Don't ask Hannah how I'm getting on with that. (laughs) So to round this up, if we want to become a healthy community here at LVV, we have to be humble and acknowledge that we need other people around us studying our lives who love us enough to challenge us on our decisions we are making that are harming ourselves and those around us. Healthy community has the courage to challenge, but at the same time, the humility to receive it. And the last family behavior practice that I want to look at today is the practice of encouraging one another. I love, I love, 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 love encouragement. I just, I love it. And so much so that I played this game um, last year with a group of friends called The And. Has anybody played The And? No? Just me? Okay, cool. Well, um, this game, you, you basically, you've played it, haven't you? No, oh no. So you got to... Uh, <laughs> 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 it's just looking for somebody to know what I'm talking about up here. Um, basically, the game is you, you pick this card, and on the card, there's questions that you, you have to ask the people that are playing. And the card that I picked up this first time I played it meant that everybody had to say three things that they liked about me. So I stole this card and carried it around with me in my wallet and give it to Hannah from time to time. What can I say? I'm a words of affirmation guy. But in all seriousness, guys, we have to get this one right. Time and time again, we are reminded to encourage one another, to edify, to build up one another. We're reminded time and time again in the scriptures. And I have to say, we are good at this in Lagan Valley Vineyard, but we can never forget or assume that someone else is encouraging a person. I always fall into this trap. I'm sure someone else will send them a text or I'm sure someone else noticed they weren't themselves today. And you know what they say? Assumption is the mother of all mistakes. Just because we assume doesn't mean it's true. Put it this way. It's far better that someone gets an extra encouragement as opposed to none. 
And we tend to be careful with this in Northern Ireland, don't we? We feel responsible for making sure nobody gets too big for their boots, right? It can also be known as tall poppy syndrome. But we can't afford to be formed by this culture. To encourage means to put courage into someone. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. Let me say that again. To encourage means to put courage into someone. And never has there been a time where we've needed courage more than now, right? To step up and step out to become the church God has called us to be. We don't have time to play safe anymore. We don't have the time to hide behind our insecurities or our fears. There's a world out there longing to connect with the person of Jesus. And we need to be a people that are placing courage in one another to go after the God-given dreams that he has placed in each one of us that will inevitably extend his kingdom. So let me give you this little challenge. For the next week, pick one person a day and encourage them. I used to do this all the time, and as I was writing this, I realized I'd fallen out of the way of it. But I used to just ping a quick text or call someone, or when I was with someone, I just offered to pray for them. And whatever it looks like, no matter how quick or simple, I guarantee you it will have a bigger impact, not only on that individual, but for this community as a whole. So, to wrap things up, as we forgive one another, as we challenge one another, as we encourage one another, it will lead to the greatest commitment of all, which is to love one another. Mark 12, verse 30 to 31 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love looks like forgiving one another. It looks like challenging one another. And it looks like encouraging one another. But here's the thing. This has to be embodied. You can't do this from home while watching the live stream. Remember what the the letter to the Hebrews said? He reminded them to not give up. Don't give up or neglect meeting together. Why? Because when we are together, it creates an opportunity for us to not only practice these things, but to receive these things. C.S. Lewis puts it best when he penned these words. Christ works on us in many different ways, primarily through each other. Christ works on us in many different ways, primarily through one another. So let's show up and reflect the image of God to one another as we don't give up meeting together as the church, both here and in homes, as we commit to loving one another through practicing forgiveness, challenge, and encouragement. We're out of time. Why don't you stand your feet? Let me pray for us as we close today. And um, actually, we have a wee bit more time than I thought. So why don't you close your eyes? And um, if you're new here, we just simply do this to help with um, distraction, helps us focus on God. And um, maybe if you want to change your posture, if you just want to put your hands out in front of you, 
And again, if you're new here, this is just something that we do um, to simply embody a posture of receiving from the Lord. And I'm just going to create a moment silence um, just to let God come and speak and um, we'll see what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us be aware of your nearness. Come. Just this morning as I was praying and listening to what God might want to do with us this morning, I felt really challenged and reminded about that text that about the great commandments of loving God but also loving the church. And for some of us, we don't struggle with the idea of loving God, but the idea of loving the church, it's just too difficult. It's too hard. We've been hurt too many times. We want to keep church at a distance. Yeah, we maybe show up on a Sunday, but that's just about all we can cope with. And if I could be so bold today to say on behalf of the church, where you have been hurt, where you have been let down, where you have been ignored, where you have been pushed to the peripheral, where you have simply not being cared for, can I say on behalf of the church, we're sorry. We are sorry. And where there's hurt and where there's bitterness and where there's just stuff that's crept in that's not from God, I just want to pray that the Lord would come and heal those wounds this morning or today, that he would heal those hurts where we've been hurt by the church, that he would come and heal those hurts And on the other side of that, we would begin to fall in love with the church again. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? God, I pray for my friends today here, for those of us who are just struggling with the idea of loving the church. God, I pray for any hurt or any wound, any past experience that is getting in the way of that. And Holy Spirit, would you come and heal their hearts today? God, we know that the biggest challenge in these days is to love your church. It's so difficult, but Lord, we want to be a people that are marked by love. We want to be a people that are marked by loving your church, loving one another, expressing it through word and deed. So Holy Spirit, would you come and help us do that today, we pray. And the second thing I want to lead us into praying for is this morning I was just kind of really, really, really struck by just the forgiveness piece, the practice of forgiveness. And um, you don't need to be an expert or a cultural analyst. Um, uh, you don't need to like look around the world right now and see that forgiveness is something that we struggle with in the world, but also very much so in our country. If we look at our politics, it's something that's just missing and void. And uh, for those of us that are struggling with forgiveness, um, we've maybe been hurt, we've maybe been let down by somebody in this community or somebody in our family or whatever, um, 
I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to empower us and provoke us and remind us that actually um, forgiveness is something that he's called us to. It's something that we're meant to be marked by as a people. And when the world is looking for a model of what forgiveness looks like, that they can look to the church and see it. So can I just pray for you this morning if you're struggling with um, unforgiveness or you're struggling with forgiving somebody um, because of something they've done. Um, I just want to pray for you. Um, Holy Spirit, we know that um, hurt people hurt people, that we all have stuff going on in our lives that means that we act in ways that um, irritate and annoy people and hurt people around us. And Holy Spirit, I pray for the people that you're calling to mind right now, the names, the faces, um, the moments where we've been hurt. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us Give us the words and the way in which you want us to step into embodying forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be a church that would be marked by forgiveness that would lead to unity. So would you help us as we go from this place to forgive our brothers and sisters as you have forgiven us. And Holy Spirit, as we go from this place, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be a people that would be marked by loving one another that, and we wouldn't settle just for playing happy families, but we would be reminded today that the goal of loving one another is so that the world would know the good news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you go with us? Would you continue to lead us in loving one another, we pray. In your mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.